President Trump reportedly has a backup plan in case Trump care goes down in flames. He'll simply leave Obamacare in place, blame Democrats, and then stump for more Republican votes in Congress to help him replace Obamacare. Yes, really. According to CNN, quote, During an hour-long meeting, sources said Trump chastised groups including Club for Growth, the Heritage Foundation, Americans for Prosperity, Freedom Works, and the Tea Party Patriots for calling the House GOP proposal Obamacare light, warning the Tea Party activists, quote, you are helping the other side. Trump said he will have a football stadium events in states where he won by 10 to 12 points, and he is going to dare people to vote against him, a source at the meeting said. This is not a good strategy. Here are three reasons. First, you cannot keep selling people the same smelly garbage. Republicans said in 2010 they needed to be elected to Congress to repeal Obamacare. They failed. They said in 2012 they needed the Senate to repeal Obamacare. They failed. They said in 2014 they needed a bigger majority in the House to repeal Obamacare. They failed. They said in 2016 they need the White House to repeal Obamacare. If they fail again, do you really think Republicans will keep going back to the well on the same old promise when Republicans could pass a one-line bill repealing Obamacare now? As Alapunda says at Hot Air, at some point people get wise to the scam. Second, entitlements don't fail. They just grow. Who thinks that Obamacare is going to fail for those on Medicaid? Anybody? Nope. States will continue to pile people on Medicaid. Those people will continue to vote for Democrats. The entitlement program will get bigger, not smaller. And when people on Obamacare plans can't obtain their doctor, who's to say they won't go to the government for more money and bigger subsidies, rather than decrying the evils of Obamacare? We're already seeing a spike in Obamacare's popularity now that there's talk of replacement. Do we think that will stop when Republicans vow to kill a law affecting a larger and larger share of the health market? No entitlement program has ever gotten less popular over time, no matter how bankrupt it is. Let's put it this way. Obamacare is already popular enough that Republicans are afraid of killing it outright. Give it another couple years, and Republicans will be talking about how they want to preserve it the same way they do with Social Security and Medicare. Finally, it's a midterm, stupid. The president typically doesn't have the upper hand in midterm battles. That's because, as Alapunda also points out, midterm elections are naturally almost always referenda on the president and his party. Does Trump really think he can run against Obama in 2018? Plus, Trump already has control of Congress. Who does he run against? The Democrats who don't matter because they're already in the minority? So, is it decent strategy to let Obamacare stay and then run against it? Not once you've made, not, to, not once you're president. Promises were made. They should be kept. The biggest problem here is that Trump care has less to do with the actuality of repealing Obamacare than the rhetoric of it. And talk is pretty cheap. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. All right, tons to get to today. I want to talk a lot about this Steve King blow-up that's happened because I think that it's pretty clear that the media are, are doing a hit job here. And this is coming from somebody who says that, you know, when the media is right, the media are right. When they are calling it accurately, they're calling it accurately. I'm not somebody who's knee-jerk when it comes to the media is always wrong, the media is always lying. Sometimes the media is right, sometimes the media is wrong. In this case, I really think that Steve King uh, is getting railroaded a little bit. And some of that's his own fault because he uses verbiage that is that is really kind of stupid. Um, but some of that, a lot of it, I think, is, is just the media lying. And so I want to talk about that specifically in just a minute. But first, we have to say thank you to our advertisers over at Texture.com. So, if you are somebody who's addicted to information, addicted to reading, then you need to go to texture.com and become a subscriber. The way that this works is that you can get basically subscriptions to tons and tons of magazine, all their back issues, by subscribing to Texture.com. 
Com. There are a bunch to choose from. I'm just going to look at the list of magazines that they have available. It's everything from Sports Illustrated to National Geographic to Entertainment Weekly to Vanity Fair to Better Homes and Gardens to Time. I mean, it's just a, it's, it's a it's a huge list. I mean, I'm looking at pages and pages of magazines here that you can subscribe to simply by going to Texture.com. You go there, $9.99 a month, you get over 200 magazines. If you sign up right now at Texture.com slash Ben, you get a 14-day free trial. So you can see if you like it, see if you enjoy it. I promise you will. It's just fantastic. My wife and I both use it for Reader's Digest, uh, which is uh, one of the ways that we got a guest on a couple of weeks ago. Uh, the, the lady who came on and talked about how she was caring for for terminal babies. Uh, I met her because I was reading in Reader's Digest through Texture.com. Go to Texture.com slash Ben right now. It was selected as one of Apple's top 2016 iPad apps. Start that free trial. Again, Texture.com slash Ben. Texture.com slash Ben. It's entirely digital, obviously, and uh, you're never going to run out of things to read. And if you are somebody who just can't be away from information for any long period of time like I am, Texture.com is the best place to find information to get in-depth analysis of the information that you're reading about. Texture.com slash Ben. Make sure to add the slash Ben so you get that 14-day free trial and also so that they know that we sent you. Okay, so I was going to start with Trump Care today, and then there was a big controversy that broke out this morning over Representative Steve King. So, full disclosure, I know Representative King. I think Representative King is, from the times I've met him, he seems like a nice fellow. Um, I don't think that Representative King is the brightest guy in the basket. I think that Representative King tends to boil everything down uh, to, uh, to a little bit too simplistic a version of reality. But here's what happened. So, Steve King gets on Twitter over the weekend, and he tweets out, Wilders, talking about Gert Wilders over in, uh, over in the Netherlands, understands that culture and demographics are our destiny. We can't restore our civilization with somebody else's babies. Okay, there are two ways to read this tweet, and I'll read it again slowly so people understand. Wilders understands that culture and demographics are our destiny. We can't restore our civilization with somebody else's babies. There are two ways to read the tweet. The first way to read the tweet is that this is racism. That if you bring in a bunch of foreign babies, they're going to destroy the country. There's no way to assimilate them, and that's because they're black, or they're, they're from Muslim countries, or they're Arab, or whatever it is. That's one way to read the tweet, that this is just out-and-out out racism. You can't bring in a bunch of foreign babies and hope to maintain your culture, and that race is inherently connected to culture. That is, that is way one to read this tweet. Then there is way two to read the tweet, and that is that it is badly phrased but not racist. Basically, King is saying that multiculturalism and high levels of immigration from foreign cultures cannot coexist. And that is utterly uncontroversial. That is an utterly uncontroversial proposition. Angela Merkel has said exactly the same thing. In December 2015, she said, multiculturalism leads to parallel societies and therefore remains a life lie or a sham. The challenge is immense. We want and we will reduce the number of refugees noticeably. Is Merkel a white nationalist? Is Merkel a white supremacist or a racist? I mean, she wants to reduce the number of refugees, and it seems like what she's saying here is that multiculturalism connected with high levels of immigration from foreign culture creates enclaves that are dangerous for any sort of Western civilization that's attempting to thrive. Is that racist? No, that's reasonable. David Cameron has said the same thing in Great Britain. Again, Merkel in Germany has said the exact same thing. Naturally, the media immediately jumps to the first interpretation, which is the king is a racist, that he's saying that it doesn't matter if you have assimilation working full bore. It doesn't matter if you reject multiculturalism. If you're from the wrong country, that means you're inherently going to be a bad citizen of the country. So which one of these did King mean? Did King mean that babies from everywhere else are terrible, right? That somebody else's babies, we can't restore our civilization with somebody else's babies. Does he mean by that that if somebody else raises their babies not in accordance with Western civilization, you can't restore your civilization? Or does he mean 
any babies from elsewhere are inherently bad and babies are terrible because they have a different race. So, fortunately, we have some answers to this. So, he goes on New Day on CNN to clarify this because this is something that does require clarification, right? He goes on New Day with Chris Cuomo. Now, Chris Cuomo has the IQ of a block of wood, as we've mentioned before. And so, what has happened here, what has happened here is that Chris Cuomo, you'll watch, we'll watch some of this interview, Chris Cuomo jumps in, and he immediately assumes the first, right? That what, what Steve King is actually talking about is that babies from other countries are terrible and evil, and that they can't be assimilated. And Steve King keeps saying, no, 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 I'm not talking about race, I'm talking about culture. If you come to a culture, if you, if you come from a culture that's different from the United States or Western civilizations, and you come in and you don't assimilate in any way, then that's dangerous to the culture, right? He's making the Angela Merkel point. They're talking at cross purposes, and you'll see that. And we'll talk about how the media have really skewed this thing and, and lied about it. We need to be a country that's pulled together on similar values. That makes us stronger. That's that's the exact point. I mean, because it seemed like you were doing the opposite. Like you were trying to say someone else's babies means you're either white or you're not right. And as you know, that is anathema to what America's all about. Can we get agreement on that? Well, I, I want to. I, here's actually, if you go down the road um, a few generations or maybe centuries with the intermarriage. I'd like to see an America that's just so homogenous that it, we look a lot the same from that perspective. I think there's been far too much focus on race, especially in the last eight years. And I want to see that put behind us. And I want to be as bonded together. I gave a speech on this on Saturday, and half the liberals got up and left the room when I talked well, about because the when you say when you suggest to anybody, divisions. but when you're looking for hatred is the point, Chris. But hold on a second, Congressman. If you suggest that somebody else's babies shouldn't be welcome in a country, you seem inherently divisive. That's why I keep asking you, what was your intention with this? And you keep to seem doubling down on it. I mean, you said America's got lots of different faces. That's fine. But you keep making this point that this country needs to be about white people raising their birth rate and not bringing in other people. And then what, what King says there, as the clip continues, is, I never said white people need to raise their birth rate. He actually overtly denies that, right? What he says is that that's a lie. He says, quote, I have never said that. I tell them to go back and watch the tape, right? I mean, this is, he said over and over, what's amazing here is that, so here's, here's where the media lies. So the, the headline that you have seen this morning, undoubtedly, the, the headline that you've seen this morning is King, quote, I'd like to see an America that's just so homogenous that we look a lot the same. If you just see that headline, you would assume immediately that what Steve King is talking about is that he just wants to see lots of white babies. He wants a racially homogenous America with lots of white babies. That's the implication of that headline. But the first half of the sentence is, if you go down the road a few generations and maybe centuries with the intermarriage, I'd like to see an America that's just so homogenous that we look a lot the same. Okay, let me explain something. As somebody who's been labeled a cuck by the alt-right, as somebody who hates the alt-right, who despises racism, who thinks racism is disgusting, if I thought Steve King was being racist here, if I thought that what he was actually talking about was the first interpretation of his tweet, not the second interpretation, I'd be the first person calling for his censure on the floor of the House. I'd be calling for his constituents to dump him at the nearest bus stop. Okay, this idea that, you know, I'm, I'm looking to defend Steve King for racist comments is just silly. But what's amazing here is, again, the first half of the sentence is that he wants to see more intermarriage, not less. That he wants to see all the races intermingle. Last I checked, that's not a white supremacist position. It's not a white nationalist position. It's not a position that suggests that race and ethnicity are inherently connected with culture, right? That's not what he's saying. He's saying precisely the opposite, actually. 
It's, it's awkward. It's stupid the way he's doing it. It's silly the way that he's phrasing it. But that's not what he's saying. He's not saying, I just want a bunch of white people. He said, quote, if you go down the road a few generations or maybe centuries with the intermarriage, I'd like to see an America that's just so homogenous that we look a lot the same. The reason I mentioned the alt-right here is because what the alt-right has called people like me, people who actually like immigration. I think immigration is a good thing when combined with assimilation. I want more immigration when combined with assimilation. You're looking at somebody right now or listening to somebody right now who has said, I would trade 50 million people from abroad who share America's values for people who live in the United States and don't appreciate America's values. I don't care where you're born. I don't care what race you are. I think that that's actually sort of what King is saying here. And the the media is out to jump on him because they're suggesting that What he really means is that black babies are bad, as opposed to if we bring in people from a bunch of foreign cultures and don't assimilate them, those babies are not going to make American culture better because they're not going to be assimilated. In fact, here is listen, listen to King talk a little bit more because I want to I want to show you what he's actually saying. If you suggest that somebody else's babies shouldn't be welcome in a country, you seem inherently divisive. That's why I keep asking you, what was your intention with this? And you keep to seem doubling down on it. I mean, you said America's got lots of different faces. That's fine. But you keep making this point that this country needs to be about white people raising their birth rate and not bringing in other people. That's exactly what America is not. But but Chris, I never have made that point. I've never said that. I've been been characterized as saying that. I've had the blogs out there say I said that, but I tell them, go back and watch the tape, listen to it, just listen to the language. Our language is precise. That's not out there. But I did defend Western civilization that started this last summer Mm. uh, at the Republican National Convention. And when I said Western civilization, that launched people that are opposed to Western civilization. That's a big problem. If we have an element of Americans here, and it's a big element, that reject Western civilization, then what have we? Uh, This is an effort on the left, I think, to break down the American civilization and the American culture and turn it into something entirely different. I'm a champion for Western civilization. And yes, our English language is a big part of it. It's a carrier of freedom. Wherever the English language has gone globally, freedom went with it. And science, technology has always lifted up the standard of living on average of everybody on the planet. So I want more of that, not less. And there are civilizations that produce very little, if any. This Western civilization is a a superior civilization, and we want to share it with everybody. Okay, he keeps saying civilization and culture. You know, it's civilization and culture, civilization and culture. And Cuomo just keeps going back to race because Cuomo wants to get him on the race point. But that's not what King is saying. And so when you read the headlines today and when you see people immediately jumping to Steve King is a racist or what Steve King said here anyway is racist, just do yourself a favor and do your own research on this stuff because the fact is, and, and listen to what they're actually saying because the headlines do not convey what exactly was going on in this case. And it's very frustrating because I've been in arguments this morning on Twitter with people and I keep just quoting King, right? I just keep saying, okay, here's what he actually said. Here's the actual text of what he said. Here's what he, he, here's what he tweeted. Here's what he said. Here's what he meant. And everybody just keeps going to, but that's not what they want to believe. Right? Everybody just keeps doubling down on what they want to believe. What's the narrative they want to embrace? What's the convenient narrative to embrace. And there's some virtue signaling, I think, going on from some people on the right who are looking to just disassociate with anybody who says anything mildly controversial um, and who are looking to prove to everybody they're not racist by throwing this guy under the bus for saying something that really actually is not racist. What he's saying right now is not actually racist. He keeps denying that it's racist. And he keeps saying, again, when I, I keep going back to this point, when I'm called a cuck, okay, the term cuck, what that means is that I want to see the races mixed. 
right? That I want to see the races mixed because I'm a terrible person. This is according to white supremacists. If I didn't support Trump sufficiently, it's because I'm a cuck who wants my wife to have sex with a black person so I don't have black babies and be tweeted about it by my low Yiannopoulos, right? That's, that, that's, demo, that's demonstrative of the fact that I'm a cuck. Okay, there's nothing more cuckish than what just got said there by Steve King with regard to intermarriage. Okay, if you think that the white supremacists are into that, that's just it's just not true. So I think that it's it's worthwhile debunking this kind of stuff because you know we're we're we attempt to be fair-minded and objective and honest as we can be here on the program in line with conservative principles. And I'm not just going to bend over backwards and say that the guy said something racist when we can all look at the tape ourselves and determine whether who's lying here is it King or is it the media who are lying about him? Okay, well before I get to Trump characters, there's a lot to talk about there. We have to say thank you to our friends over at Distilled. So if you are looking for a really nice pair of jeans, if you are looking for a pair of jeans that is going to last you a long time, high quality, looking for something under 100 bucks because a solid pair of jeans will cost you 100 bucks at a, at a retail outlet, you need to go to DSTLD.com. DSTLD.com right now and check it out. I own a pair of DSTLD jeans. In fact, I think I own a couple. Uh, and they are really nice. I wear them all the time. I love wearing jeans. And DSTLD distilled jeans are the highest quality there is. If you go over to DSTLD.com right now and you use slash Ben, DSTLD.com slash Ben, then you do get a, a 10% discount, so you can go over there and check it out right now. Distilled.com, you get that 10% off your first pair, off your first pair, DSTLD.com slash Ben, and use the slash Ben not only for the discount, but also they know that uh, we sent you, and that means that they will be more likely to uh, to continue advertising, which is great for the program and great for you. So, DSTLD.com slash Ben. Thank you to, to our sponsors. Okay, so, now... Well, I want to talk a little bit about the myths and the facts surrounding Trump care, because this rollout continues amidst all of the chaos, amidst all of the hubbubs. The, the fact is that the, the Trump care rollout continues apace, and the Democrats continue to lie about it. And when I say Democrats, I mean the quote-unquote conservative columnists at the New York Times, too. So David Brooks is the in-house conservative columnist at the New York Times, and he says that Trump care is just a boondoggle for the rich. Here he was on NBC News. This again, the conservative at the New York Times. Well, here's what I don't get about what's going on this week. We just had 2016, an election about the working class, an election where we learned that a lot of people are out of the job market, the social fabric is fraying. And so the, the lesson is the lesson, pay attention and help these people. So the Republican Party could help these people with market-based mechanisms, which I support. Do they do that? No. They have huge tax cuts for the rich. This investment income tax credit only goes to people above 250. And that has been stable in all the plans that they've come up with and thrown around. And meanwhile, they're throwing 8, 10, 15 million people off the rolls. So it's declaring war on their own voters. And then there's a wing of the party that's saying, uh, no, that's too much. We need to totally decimate them. So the Republican Party has to figure out, are we going to help our voters, or are we still the party that, you know, we're still going to be the party of the rich? I hate this crap. I hate it. And I will explain how much I hate it in just a second. But for that, you're going to have to go over to the DailyWire.com right now. DailyWire.com. Become a subscriber. $8 a month will get you a subscription to DailyWire.com. Plus, if you subscribe annually, we still have an, a special offer for you. You get a free DVD copy of The Arroyo, a great film set on the southern border from our own Jeremy Boring. Uh, top-notch filmmaking to Western set on the southern border about a rancher trying to resist the drug cartels using his land as a thoroughfare for illegal immigration and drugs. Check it out, dailywire.com to become a subscriber. And if you want to listen later, go over to iTunes or SoundCloud, give us a listen, and make sure that you rate us on iTunes as well. We always appreciate that. We are the number one conservative podcast in the United States. 
So this party of the rich crap about Trump care has been crossing the aisle. So you see David Brooks saying, you know, they're ripping it away from the poor and they're handing it to the rich. They're trying to slash Medicaid. And at the same time, they're giving tax breaks to the to the hundred thousand heirs. When they say the rich, by the way, what they're talking about, and we'll go through all the tax breaks in this bill in one second. What he's specifically talking about is there's a three point eight percent investment income tax that was levied on household incomes above two fifty. Number one, household incomes above two fifty are like upper middle class. They're they're rich for sure. I mean, you're making money, but Imagine, uh, imagine a doctor and a lawyer, and those people are making above 250. Right? If you imagine a school teacher and a lawyer, those people are probably combined making above 250. The idea that 250 is a million dollars a year is really not particularly accurate. I think it's fair to say that that's borderline rich and upper middle class than it is super duper 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 wealthy. But in any case, he says the party of the rich and they're helping the the rich at the, at the expense of the poor. That's the only part of their plan that stayed stable. Bernie Sanders says the same thing. Crazy old socialist loonbag. It's the party of the rich. Give me my pudding now. Absolute disaster. It is a disgrace. Uh, and by the way, this really has nothing to do with health care. What this has everything to do with is a massive shift of wealth from working people and middle-income people to the very richest people in this country. It is a $275 billion tax break for the top 2%. Millionaires will get about $50,000 a year in tax breaks, while at the same time, some 5 to 10 million people are going to lose their health insurance. Premiums are going to soar. The AARP says that if you are 64 years of age and you make it about 25,000 a year, you're going to pay up to $7,000 more for your health insurance. They're going to defund. That's the way that some of this bill works. It does benefit people based on age, not based on income, because the idea is that you shouldn't get special subsidies based on income. You should do it based on health or based on age because your age tends to correlate highly with your health and your health deteriorates as you age. And now this routine about how they just want tax cuts. Vox.com has a breakdown where they say that this contains $600 billion in tax cuts, tax cuts that would save the wealthiest 0.1% of Americans nearly $200,000 each in a single year. Okay, let's be frank about something. When it comes to net tax benefits versus net taxes paid in, the top 1% of the United States, people in the top 1%, pay in a vast outsized share of the taxes in the United States. People in the upper quad, in the, in the upper quintile of income, the top 20%, they pay 95% of all taxes in the United States when you talk about how much they get back, because they get virtually nothing back and they put everything in. So this idea these people have to be skew- have to be screwed even more by the tax system is really silly. And then they say it's a $600 billion tax break to the wealthy. That's absolute nonsense. The reason it's absolute nonsense is because I can break this down for you. That 3.8% investment income tax, that's the one they're talking about, that if I invest in the stock market, that they want to take 4% of the income from that, which is just, again, there's no reason for that other than they want to penalize rich people. You know, the idea that that's that that has to be done is uh, it's it's not income based, number one. But number two, um, it is a basic Republican conceit that we should be lowering taxes for everyone, including especially the people who pay them and the people at the upper end of the spectrum tend to pay them. Some of the other taxes they're including, delaying the Cadillac tax. Okay, the Cadillac tax is mostly applied to people who are in these unions that have really, really good health plans. If you if you remember, the fact is that Barack Obama went along with the Cadillac tax delay also because he didn't want to piss off his union friends. So this idea that it's just Trump who's trying to delay the Cadillac tax is a bunch of nonsense. That's about $49 billion in tax cuts. They say repeal the health insurer tax. So the health insurer tax actually taxes the health insurers 
one of the reasons that you don't do that is because you want them to lower costs. If you increase their costs, then it costs more for them to charge you. They repeal the prescription drug tax, repeal the medical device tax, repeal limit on flexible spending accounts. None of this is geared toward helping the wealthy, okay? The medical device tax is not geared toward hurting the wealthy. That medical device tax is geared toward confiscating wealth from people who develop exactly the sorts of things that you need in order to help people in the medical field. So this whole routine that this was all about just helping all of the, you know, helping all the rich people is just a bunch of nonsense, but it's the way that the Democrats want to play it. And again, it's a myth. It's a lie. It just isn't true. Now, all that said, all that said, the Republicans still have no idea how to push Trump care because Trump care still is a problem. Okay, Trump care is a disaster. One of the more amusing things I'm seeing right now is all of the people on the right trying to blame this on Paul Ryan and blame this on Sean Spicer and blame this on Tom Price and blame this on Kelly Ann. Blame it on anybody, right? Except for Trump. So Trump's sitting right there. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie The Paper Chase. It's a very famous scene from The Paper Chase where the, the main character is sitting in the audience and he's surrounded by a bunch of other students and the professor is picking on him because the main character is dating his daughter. So the professor starts calling on everybody who's around the main character, right? Just in, because he's, he's like driving him crazy. So he just calls on everybody who's sitting directly around the main character, not allowing the main character to answer a question. And the main character, you know, quietly goes nuts. That's basically what's happening right now, except it's an attempt to protect. So everyone around Trump is guilty. All the people pushing Trump care are guilty, except, of course, for Donald Trump. And Paul Ryan is basically attempting now to blackmail. It's now a blackmail game with Trump and Ryan trying to blackmail conservatives into supporting Trump care. We discussed last week all the problems with Trump care, including the fact that it allows expansion of Medicaid enrollment for the next several years. That includes $10 billion a year for the next 10 uh, in, in subsidies to these Medicaid pools, these high-risk pools to the states, when really, if the state wants to do something, it should be on the state. Not sure why it's everybody in California's job to subsidize people in Texas or vice versa. Uh, it includes you know all of these restrictions on what insurance can buy and sell. It includes restrictions on what insurance companies can charge. It doesn't get rid of the state lines. It doesn't do any of the things that, that would actually free up the market. Instead, it just maintains Obamacare and gets rid of the mandate, but also has a backdoor mandate that, allow, that forces, actually not allows, forces insurance companies to charge you 30% surcharge if you exit the insurance market for more than 12 months, but then forces them to cover you if you have a pre-existing condition, which is just destroys the system itself. It doesn't matter. Ryan and Trump are pushing this thing really hard. Trump is now saying, and this is the great irony, right? We were told that Donald Trump was going to shake up the system. Donald Trump was going to be the, he was going to be a conservative, right? We were told this by people like Sean Hannity. He was going to be a conservative, somebody who really stands up for conservative principle. Donald Trump is now threatening to primary any conservative who doesn't vote for this thing. He's now threatening to primary any conservative to, 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 who, who won't vote for this thing, which is an amazing thing, right? If Barack Obama were saying, I'm going to toss money into any race where people didn't vote for Obamacare, we'd be saying, wow, look how he's targeting the conservatives. That's terrible. Trump does it, and people on our side of that go, eh. Meanwhile, Paul Ryan, who's supposedly this great fiscal conservative, he's out there saying that doom and gloom are ahead if we don't pass this thing. Everything will explode. Here he says this. The president has said there will be a bloodbath in 2018 if this isn't passed through the House and Senate. Do I do agree? believe that if we don't keep our word to the people who sent us here, yeah. Look, the most important thing for a person like myself who runs for office and tells the people we're asking to hire us, this is what I'll do if I get elected. And then if you don't do that, you're breaking your word. Okay, so I love this. We were hired to do this and we're going to implode. Everything will explode if we don't pass this. You know, there is another option. I'm getting, as I said last week, I'm very sick of this binary choice crap. This is not 
correct. Okay, this idea that if we don't pass my version of the bill, everything will uh, basically you're going to hold our feet to the fire. You put the gun to our head. You're going to put the horse's head in our bed if we don't if we don't vote for this thing or support this thing. I have another option. The other option is just repeal Obamacare. Just repeal it. You said you were going to repeal it, and then come up with short bills that provide the fixes that you think are going to be applicable and that move us toward a free market system. This thing doesn't move us toward a free market system in any real way. But again, it's always the threat. It's always the threat. When you have to threaten your own voters, when you have to threaten your own party, you're doing it wrong. Okay, Democrats really didn't have to threaten members of their own party at any point here. And the reason for that is because they were passing things Democrats liked. Republicans are now playing this game where they say, we can do government better than the Democrats. And you know what? You can't. You can't. Because there's no way that you can do government well. There just isn't. And Paul Ryan continues along these lines. He says, don't worry, you know, there are a lot of critics to this bill, but, you know, that's, that's normal. When you're a governing party getting consensus among your wide big tent party, not every, everybody doesn't get what they want. But we're getting much better policy here. Okay, the, the, it, this routine, nobody's going to get what they want. How about, how about the conservatives? Can they get some of the things they want? I've yet to find a conservative group that actually defends this thing. And because it's not a conservative bill, Republicans are forced to defend it in leftist terms. They're being forced to defend it in leftist terms. And what that means is that they're defending it in terms like it's going to cover more people or it's going to bend the cost curve down. Okay, that's not what we're talking about here. Republicans should be talking about you have the freedom to make your own choices when it comes to health care and the government can't force you to buy anything and insurance companies have the freedom to compete with each other. That will bend the cost curve. That will bring the cost curve down. Freedom brings the cost curve down. But freedom is good just because freedom is freedom. Okay, Freedom is not based on efficiency always. Sometimes freedom is just based on freedom. And here's the biggest problem. Here's the biggest unspoken truth that nobody will say in this entire debate. No government solution is going to fix all of this with regard to poor people outside of nationalized health care. Okay, that's the sad truth of this situation. When it comes to the people who are this, the quote-unquote most impoverished, the people who lack the health insurance and they're not going to buy it, and they weren't going to obey the mandate under Obama because it was too expensive for them anyway, and they weren't going to get covered even if they were, the people who show up in the emergency rooms, if that's all you care about in a health insurance system or in a health care system, then what you're going to end up with is a nationalized healthcare system. Because the fact is, a lot of the people who are not buying insurance are not just doing so because they are poor. They're not doing so because they are not making good decisions with their health and their money. Okay, there are a lot of people in the United States who don't make good decisions with their health and their money. The fact is, before Obamacare, it was like 9% of Americans didn't have health insurance. After Obamacare, it's like 7% of, health, of Americans don't have health insurance. And a lot of the people who just joined are now on government subsidies via Medicaid. The fact is, unless you force people to do it, you're not going to get people to do it. And I'm not for forcing people to do anything because this is a free country and the government does not have the responsibility or the wherewithal or the power or the constitutional authority to do all this stuff. But because Republicans have fallen into the trap of trying to explain how their government policy is going to, quote unquote, cover more people than other people's policies, they end up in these bizarre situations making promises they just can't keep. Here's Mick Mulvaney, who's the head of the Office of Management and Budget, trying to defend Obamacare along these lines. Other folks who don't make as much money as I did were on the exact same plan. Do you think they could afford to go to the doctor? That's what we're trying to fix. Not coverage for people, not coverage they can afford, but care they can afford. When they get sick, they can go to the doctor. That's what the Donald Trump plan is working on, and that's where we think it's going to be wildly successful. Well, okay, again, no. You know, when, when you say that it's just going to be more affordable and everybody will be able to afford, maybe it will and maybe it won't, but don't. Don't write checks with your mouth that you can't cash, okay? The fact is that when you say that everything is going to become more affordable without removing the regulations that actually make insurance companies charge more, 
and without removing the subsidies to these insurance companies and to the healthcare providers, the costs will rise. And you can see it. I mean, there are charts that show the price of goods in virtually every area of American life has declined in terms of real value. But the price of healthcare has gone up. Why is that? Why is that? Well, it's because of subsidies and regulations. Tom Price, he's the Health and Human Services Secretary, he makes a promise here there's no way he's going to be able to keep. I firmly believe that, that, that nobody will be worse off financially in, this, in the process that we're going through, understanding that they'll have choices that they can select the kind of coverage that they want for themselves and for their family, okay. not that government the, the, forces the, them to okay. buy. This is, okay, nobody will be worse off financially? That's just not true. It's just not true. Some people will be worse off financially. There will be the people on Medicaid who are no longer able to enroll, or the people who would have joined Medicaid and won't be able to enroll, but now have to pay for health insurance. And if you think that won't end up as an ad on TV from the Democrats, you're wrong. The fact is, the case that Republicans should be making is a very obvious one. Freedom is better than non-freedom. More freedom in the market will lead to lower costs eventually. There will be dislocations in the marketplace, and we have to do some things to try and help people who are going to be dislocated by the marketplace, which is why this is a transitional process. But our goal here is not to force everybody to be covered. Our goal here is not to use the government to cram down coverage on everybody. Our goal here is to provide more choice for everyone. Listen, if you want to make that choice, that's great. You should. I'm making that choice. You should make that choice. And as the cost is lowered for everybody, hopefully there will be more options available to you. But choices have consequences in the United States. They do. And in a free country, choices have consequences. I saw somebody yesterday saying, well, you know, the free market impacts everybody. So if people don't buy, if we don't force healthy people to buy insurance, then sick people won't be able to get it. Okay, but it's my choice. You know, that, that, that's true for everything. I'm sure that we could bring the price down of a wide variety of consumer goods if you forced me to purchase them. But that's not my choice. I don't choose to purchase them. Right? It's my choice what to do. And it's very sad that people are caught up in a health insurance system that they can't afford. It's very sad that there are people without coverage. That's what communities are for. And the Jewish community, we have synagogues, and they, they fully give charity, and they band together. There, there are full co-ops, Christian co-ops, that get together, and they provide for people who are not insured through their employer, and they actually band together, and they negotiate with the insurance companies. There are other solutions outside of government, but the idea here that it's government or bust has now infected both sides of the aisle. If it's government or bust, Democrats are going to continue to win this issue from here until the end of time. You know, Tom Cotton... Uh, it's so funny. On both sides now, you're having Republicans say that this thing puts the House at risk. Basically, you're having Paul Ryan say, if we don't pass this, we'll lose the House. And then you have people like Tom Cotton saying, if we do pass this, it's gonna, we're going to lose the House. I'm afraid that if they vote for this bill, uh, they're going to put the House majority at risk next year. And we have majorities in the House and the Senate and the White House, not only to repeal Obamacare and get health care reform right, but to reform our taxes and our regulations and build up our military and accomplish many other things. And I don't want to see the House majority put at risk on a bill that is not going to pass the Senate. That's why I think we should take a pause, try to solve as many of the problems on both Medicaid and the individual insurance market in this bill in the House, and then allow the Senate to take its work up. Okay, and Tom Cotton is exactly right here, but this controversy is going to tear the Republicans apart. Trump doesn't really care. Trump is going to try and cram this thing down. Here's how I think this is going to play out. Okay, I think this is going to play out where Ryan wouldn't push this if he didn't think he had the votes in the House. He'll probably get it passed in the House. It's going to die in the Senate. And then Trump will blame Paul Ryan and he'll blame Mitch McConnell for this thing not passing. And he'll toss Ryan's previous out on his butt. And Steve Bannon will get more power in the White House. And he will then campaign against all the Republicans who did not obey him. If this seems like this is a good thing for the Republican Party, 
then you're out of your mind. It's a terrible thing for the Republican Party. This was the one unifying aspect of Republican policy was everybody was opposed to Obamacare, and now apparently nobody is. So that's really uh, that, that's really disappointing, or at least the number of people who are has been completely overcome by the fact that Trump wants to maintain key provisions of Obamacare. Okay, time for some things I like and then some things that I hate. So, things that I like. I felt like doing some plays this week, some plays that you may not have, have ever seen, um, but, but that are popular. Uh, this one is by Tennessee Williams called The Glass Menagerie. It is, for my money, I think it's actually the most beautifully written of Tennessee Williams's plays. Um, Tennessee Williams, great playwright, obviously, Cat on a Hot Tin Roof, but his best is best known as Streetcar Named Desire. Everybody knows Streetcar. Uh, fewer people know The Glass Menagerie. The Glass Menagerie is a beautifully written piece uh, about this young woman who who is sort of, uh, she's, she's very worried about becoming an old maid, and a guy who comes over to court her, and her mother who's worried about her becoming an old maid, and her brother who's worried about her becoming an old maid. And it's very moving, and it's, and it's very touching, and it's very heartbreaking. Beautifully written, really well-crafted. Um, I'm not sure, I, I think they made a movie version of it. I can't remember whether it's any good or not, but most even local theater productions of this thing are pretty good. It's that well-written. The writing is so good that it even can make up for, for acting that's, that's a little bit flawed. Uh, the Glass Menagerie by, by Tennessee Williams. Again, Tennessee Williams, I think, is the, a lot of people like Arthur Miller. I think Tennessee Williams is a much better playwright. Uh, the Glass Menagerie by Tennessee Williams, he's, he's the best, I think, American playwright uh, who's ever lived. Uh, and this is, if not his finest play, uh, his most perfect play in certain ways. Um, so check that out. Okay, time for some things that I hate. So I'm going to talk about some things uh, that, that Sean Spicer, the, the White House press secretary, has said, and some things that Sean Spicer uh, was victim of over the weekend. So over the weekend, Sean Spicer, uh, it was a Friday afternoon, and he was being asked about this new economic report that the, uh, that the Trump administration was really touting, talking about how great the Trump administration economic report was. And Sean Spicer uh, was, uh, was asked about the fact that Trump team is now using all of the same metrics that Team Obama used to talk about how great the economy was, right? They're saying that the unemployment rate is down. Isn't that wonderful? They're saying, if you look at the, the wages, those are going up. Isn't that wonderful? They're not talking about the labor force participation rate anymore. They're not talking about the U6 unemployment rate, which is part-time workers anymore. They're just using the same exact statistics that Obama was using. And here is Sean Spicer talking about this at the White House. Does the president believe that this jobs report was accurate and a fair way to measure the economy? Yeah, I, I talked to the president prior to this, uh, and he said to quote him very clearly, they may have been phony in the past, but it's very real now. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, the, the, I love that the press is laughing at this. That is so transparently awful and cynical, what he just said. right? That, and, and for Trump to say it, that basically I'll lie when it's convenient. Either the statistics are phony or they're not phony. I don't think that the uh, I think the statistics are quasi phony. I think that the the real unemployment rate is about nine point two percent. I think that we are looking at a very very low labor force participation rate. I don't think that the economy is humming along as well as everybody seems to think it is. I think there are real systemic problems in the labor market because of the increase in in manufacturing technology uh, and the movement to and the, and the movement to the service sector. Yeah, there, there are real systematic problems in the in the economy that are not going to go away overnight. When Sean Spicer says, basically, it's okay for Trump to lie about the statistics when it's Obama, but the minute he's in, he's now going to use those same statistics, it just demonstrates how polarized and nasty our politics is, and it demonstrates how partisan they are and how little they have to do with the truth, which is just disgusting. It really is disgusting. It's something that I don't appreciate. I would like there to be a consistent standard. I've been saying this the whole time. You've got people on the Trumpian right saying, well, look at the stock market. It's just great. I was here the last nine years, and I remember... 
when we would say about Barack Obama, the stock market is not a good indicator of economic health. It's a bunch of companies doing stock buybacks in order to increase their stock prices and invest in their own savings and increase their balance sheets, but it's not necessarily increasing the, the manufacturing products. It's not necessarily increasing jobs. It's not necessarily making better things for people to buy. There's a vast disconnect between the stock market and how people are feeling out there in the real economy. This is the stuff that Trump used to say. Now, people proclaim that the stock market bump under Trump is demonstrative of the fact that Trump is the greatest president who ever lived. You can't change your, your baseline just because the president changed. If you do that, that makes you a hack. Sean Spicer is a hack. The medias are, are just as hacky, and it's really messed up. Chris Wallace basically called out one of Trump's economic advisors on this, and, uh, and it's really awkward. Good jobs numbers uh, on Friday. I'm going to put them up. 235,000 jobs created. Employment down from 4.8 to 4.7 percent. But during the campaign, candidate Trump dismissed reports like that. Don't believe those phony numbers when you hear 4.9 and 5 percent unemployment. The number's probably 28, 29, as high as 35. In fact, I even heard recently 42 percent. So if that's true, why should we believe these numbers? And the fact is, didn't you inherit an economy that has been for the last 18 months somewhere between 4.6 and 5 percent unemployment? And he has no real answer to that. He just looks awkwardly at the camera because that's there, there's no real answer to that. Okay, so that's the bad stuff that, that I hate about what's going on is people using two different standards as soon as the, the person in office changes. Now, other things that I hate, Sean Spicer went to the Apple store. And, uh, and he was immediately confronted by somebody at the Apple store who decided that they would yell at him at the Apple store. How does it feel? You have a great country. How do you, you, have, you, have you helped with the Russia stuff? Are you a criminal as well? Have you committed treason too, just like the president? Thank you. Have you committed treason too? What, do you, what can you tell me about Russia? It's a great country to live in. Yeah, what, what can you tell me about Russia, Mr. Secretary? Thank you What can much. you tell me? You know you work for a fascist, right? You work for a fascist. How do you feel about that? How do you feel about destroying our country, Sean? How do you feel about that? Do you feel good about the decisions you're making? About lying to the American people? Do you feel good about lying to the American people? Okay, so awful. And, and this is awful for a couple of reasons. One, if Trump were actually a fascist, this lady would already be in prison. Right? Actual fascism does not work, I think, the way a lot of people on the left think that it works. That's number one. Number two, can we leave people alone in public places as a general rule? Like, can we have like a baseline level of civility? I said this, you know, I said this before with regard to you know, people who are charging at Ivanka Trump on planes. When you're out in public, basically you should be left alone unless you're actually committing some sort of act of criminal violence at the time. I think that if we can't have at least a, a level of basic civility in, in public places, things are going to go south really, really quickly. And the fact that you're harassing Sean Spicer at the Apple store does not make you a hero. It makes you a jerk. It just makes you a jerk. Okay, I, I know lots of people that I've seen in public places who I find distasteful. And you know what I do? I just walk the other way because I'm not interested in speaking with them. I'm not interested in confronting them. It's a public place. Very often they're with their families. It's not, it's not worth it. And by the way, it's annoying to me when people, you know, I'm, I'm happy when people come up to me and want to engage in conversation right, left, or center. But they actually have to want to engage in conversation. You know, if somebody comes up to me and says, you know, I hate your guts, what am I supposed to say to that? What am I supposed to do with that? And what is Sean Spicer supposed to say to that or do with that? It's really, really silly. Okay, final thing that I hate, in much the same mode, SNL 
I had on Scarlett Johansson, and Scarlett Johansson did a did a an Ivanka Trump ad. And I don't know who watches SNL anymore live, but um, this is just again, meh. Every man knows her name. Every woman knows her face. When she walks into a room, all eyes are on her. She's Ivanka. <laughs> and a woman like her deserves a fragrance all her own. A scent made just for her. Because she's beautiful. She's powerful. She's complicit. <laughs> she's a woman who knows what she wants. And knows what she's doing. Complicit. She doesn't crave the spotlight, but we see her. Oh, how we see her. Complicit. A feminist, an advocate, a champion for women. But, like, how? She's loyal, devoted, but probably should have bounced after the whole Access Hollywood bust thing. Okay, again, uh, well, is is this what is this designed to do exactly? Listen, Ivanka Trump is fair game. She's she's one of the president's advisors. She's hanging out around him all the time. She's shaping his policy. She is fair game. But this idea that that Trump is some sort of criminal at this point, again, a little bit of proof would be nice. It's just this baseline assumption. It's amazing. There is a baseline assumption among people on the left that Trump is a criminal, and anybody who's associated with him is also a criminal or is being complicit in criminality. During the election cycle, I'm not somebody who voted for Donald Trump. I didn't vote for either of the candidates, as you well know if you listen to the program. But the fact is that I said that if you vote for Donald Trump, there's plenty of good reasons to vote for Donald Trump. The number one reason to vote for Donald Trump is because he's not Hillary Clinton. I get that. I understand that. Was everybody who voted for Hillary Clinton complicit in everything that she did? Was everybody who supported Hillary Clinton complicit in everything that she did? Are all the Democrats complicit in every bad thing that Bill Clinton ever did? Are all the staffers complicit in everything that Barack Obama ever did? You know, is Susan Rice complicit in everything? It, it, this is just, it's so silly. And, and, they, and the left would never use the language of criminality to describe anything remotely like what Trump is doing if it were on the left. It's just that she has to be a criminal and she's complicit in the criminality and they're going to go after her. I don't remember them doing anything like this about Valerie Jarrett and there's actual criminal activity. Can we wait for the actual criminal activity from Trump before we declare him a criminal? Is that, is that possible? And just like we, we should actually wait for evidence of racism before declaring that somebody made a racist comment. How about, how about that? Let's start with that. All right. Well, we'll be back tomorrow. We'll have more to discuss on that, I am sure. More fallout from, from all of the news of the day. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. We'll get to more on this in just one second first. Pure Talk believes in American values, and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So, 
I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving. 